Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Dave, if we haven't met before, and it's time again to read the Bible. Uh, as it says up there on the screen, we're reading from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Uh, you'll find that on page 876 if you've got one of these ch- blue church Bibles. Otherwise, the words will be up there on the screen as well. So please join me as we read John chapter 15, verses 1 through to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross. If we haven't met, we are continuing a journey through the book of John. And uh, on the one hand, it's a journey through the book of John. On the other hand, it's a journey through understanding what it means to be fully loved. What does it mean to be fully loved by God? So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to look a bit deeper into that passage. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we thank you for uh, bringing us all here today, as we prayed for earlier, through different stresses and anxieties, different questions we have in the world and how you're at work in the world. We pray that we'd look to you and find answers this morning, that you, you would speak to us, you'd be with us and reveal your love to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is interesting, uh, in a season of life where one might be close to turning 50, you start asking questions, you start being reflective on life, that you start to see things in life and you start to wonder, gee, what was God really doing in that moment? You know, in the, there's times in life where uh, we had a plan and but was a plan being fulfilled and we kind of might have got frustrated at God or asked questions of God. You know, why didn't we have kids when we planned to have kids? Why didn't we go to Bible college or start ministry when we were ready to go and the door seemed to be shut at that season of life? Why was it when we got the phone call from our landlord saying, hey, he's going to put up the rent and we literally had $14 in the bank? You kind of look back on those moments to go, God, what were you thinking? What was that all about? What were you doing in that moment? Do you really know what you're doing in those moments? Now, when you're reflecting on life, looking back on those sort of things, you kind of go, wow, God pulled us through. There were lessons in that. And somehow God was shaping us in those moments. But at the time, when you're in those moments, asking questions when, uh, if God's looking after me, uh, he shows that by being good. And if things are going well, 
I can trust God. I can see that God's got his best interest. He knows what he's doing. But if things aren't going well, if things aren't good, in fact, they're bad, what is God doing? How is he in control? Does he really know the plan for my life and how he should be playing to my plan, in a sense? It's hard to trust him. In fact, it's in those moments we not only find it hard to trust him, we start asking questions then, is it worth it? Is it worth following a God that wants me to do this when actually I see the easier path or the better path for me at the time is to go this direction? And if God's not playing to my book, it's kind of going, well, is my plan just better? Should I just go my way, this whole discipleship thing, this whole give your life to this thing? It's like, is it worth it? Is it just better for me to go my way? They're real questions. They're real questions we wrestle with. And it's not just us today, but they're questions that people have been wrestling with for generations and generations and generations. See, Jesus is uh, going back 2,000 years ago. Jesus is meeting with his disciples and they've seen him in the good times. They've been following him for about three years. They've seen the good days and go, this is great, this is awesome. If I hang around Jesus, you know, he's feeding people, he's watering the wine, he's raising the dead, this is awesome. But Jesus is about to say, I'm about to leave, or he is saying, I'm about to leave. In fact, tomorrow when this conversation happens, he'll be not only dead, he'll be laying in a tomb, dead. So things are going to turn around very quickly. Things are going to look bad. They're not going to be good all the time. And in those bad moments, it is that crossroads. God, do you really know what you're doing? The Lord, the Saviour, has just been killed on a cross. Do you really know what you're doing? And it's a crossroads for the disciples to ask that question, is it worth it? Is it worth following this God to, to live, to follow him, to maybe even lose my life in following him? Is it worth it or do we trust? Do we remain? Do we, do we stay in? This is the question that Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples on how to, uh, how to make sense of a world after Jesus goes to the cross. And he starts off with this uh, analogy talking about the vine. Here is the vine. He's going to use this. He often uses illustrations on what's going on around him to explain what's going on at the time. So he starts using this language of the vine. And now if you're a Jew in the first century, that means you're a part of Israel uh, and all the disciples and Jesus were born into that heritage. They're all born in Israel, God's people. They're all Jews. When you start bringing up the vine, that's kind of bad memories. See, they saw Israel as the vine, and it doesn't always work out that well. It keeps coming up in the Old Testament of what's, what this image of the vine and how God works with the vine all throughout the Old Testament. And it kind of never works out really good for Israel. Let me just give you a glimpse into Psalm 80. Psalm 80, reading from verse 8. And you see what Israel makes of this vine. They say it, they, they're praying to God. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. That's where he took Israel. They were in slavery in Egypt and they took them out. God took them out into the promised land. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared out the ground for it and it took root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. It's like, God, you've planted this vine, and this vine's awesome. They're talking about us as a nation. It's awesome. But then, 
But then they ask questions of God. What sort of gardener is God? Because it goes on in verse 12. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. You know, what sort of God, what sort of gardener are you? In fact, the vine starts yelling to the gardener at this point, verse 14, Return to us, mighty God. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. Like, they're in a situation. If you had to draw an image of Israel, they're saying... Hey, there was a season, we were the great vine. You know, we were green, we were so big, we were bearing fruit. This was awesome. But now if you ask how we're feeling, this is how we're feeling. Like we're branches cut off and burned in the fire. It's nothing. At one stage, they were prosperous. They had everything. No enemies, they were living in safety, plenty of food. But then things turned around. Drought hit, famine hit, nations pushed in. Their families were dragged off into slavery into other countries. The temple was plundered. All the gold was taken out of God's temple and the temple burned. This is how they're feeling. It's like, we've got nothing. What sort of gardener are you? What sort of God are you? Do you really know what you're doing? Because right now we're feeling like we're dead, cut down and burned, they say. So this is the image they're asking. Does God really know what he's doing, particularly in a story of a vine? Jesus comes up to the disciples in John and says, hey, let me tell you about the vine. You know, good old Costa Georgiatis from Gardening Australia is like, hey, let me tell you, this is a good story. Listen. And they're going, nah, the vine. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not sure whether you can get this story. So Jesus starts explaining then. Let me tell you about the Father's garden. He's the gardener. He says, I'm the true vine. He says, no, no, it's not Israel was the vine. They weren't the vine bringing life to all people. I am the vine who brings life to all people. My Father is the gardener. And then he gives them a bit of a lesson. This is sort of the Gardening Australia moment in the service. Uh, how this, this vine works. He says, I'm like the stalk, I'm the trunk of the vine, and there's branches that come out. Now, on a vine, branches can't live by themselves. The branches need to be attached to the vine. If branches are off the vine, they don't grow. They definitely don't bear fruit. So if you want to be a vine that grows fruit, it needs to be attached to the trunk. It gives it life. Not just gives it life, but helps it be fruitful. So the branches need to be a part of the trunk. And Jesus goes on to say, well, if I'm the trunk and God's the gardener, the Father's the gardener, who's the branches? You are the branches, he says to his disciples. You are the branches. And he's sort of, to use the analogy and then to, to flesh out what, that, what does that mean, you've got to ask the question, well, what makes the disciples the branches as opposed to everybody else? He explains that in verse 2. Um, Sorry, verse 3, where he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to. Like, you're branches, you're clean. Now, 
You kind of go, he's talking about the garden, the branches, the fruit. There's even pruning language there that the gardener's going to prune. We'll get to that in a moment. But then he comes up with this clean. You are clean. Where does this come from? It's actually, you know, if we all spoke Greek like they did in the first century, it kind of makes sense because the, the words for um, prune and cu- to be cut off uh, is same, similar to prune, rhymes with the word clean. So it kind of, if, if you read it, just go with me here a little bit. If clean sort of rhymed with prune, if it was clune sort of thing, uh, Jesus is kind of saying, you know, God's going to cut off, he's going to prune the vine, he's going to prune the branches, and your clune sort of, it makes sense if you got the language right. But this, that sort of explains, where did this clean come from? That's why he uses the word. You're a part of this, that you've been clean, clean, um, through the word, you've been with me, you've heard me teach, you've heard my claim about being the son of God, you've heard the way of salvation is to trust in me, and you have trusted me. That makes you a part of the vine. You're a part of me. This is how it works, he says. This, fleshing out, this is what it means. You're a part of me. But then he goes on to say, if you remain, you need to Remain a part of me. Remain on the vine so you can grow, but you can also be fruitful. You won't be growing and fruitful if you depart from me. Remain in me so you can grow and be fruitful. This is important. You need to remain. But see, this is how plants work. If plants just keep growing and growing and growing, and you, they have no attention, they get water, and they just want to grow and take over everything. Yeah, if you've got that bush in your garden, it just keeps going. And what happens when it grows and grows and grows, it just keeps spreading out, spreading out, and often the dead bits on the inside becomes all tatty and raggy. So it just keeps pushing out new shoots on the end, and it ends up trying to take over everything. And if you're a gardener, you go, oh, I don't like the plants getting out of control. I like it to be contained. I like it to grow leaves. So what have I got to do? I've got to prune it. Pruning is one of the best experiences ever to get in to show the plant really who's boss. It's good for the plant and it's good for us. Speaking personally, it's one of the best therapies to get into your plant, to almost commit war on the plant, to say, no, we need to strip back all that dead stuff. We need to strip back all the growth. It's going to be good for you. You're going to grow back better. So if you go back, it's something in it that I, th- I find therapeutic that you can show it who's the master, the way you can just... Take it down. Nothing better than filling up a wheelie bin full of uh, branches or even a trailer full of branches, particularly if you're doing it with something with a motor, uh, particularly if it's a petrol motor. You get the fumes, you got noise, you go, look, I'm showing you who's boss. I'm going to trim you down. This is good for you. And the plants love it because then they come back with all the fresh branches, all the fresh leaves. They have more flowers and more fruit. And it's better for the branch. And it makes the gardener pleased. Because their plant's doing so much better. This is what God the Father does with his gardening method. He prunes. We can see it, verse 1, 2. He'll prune it, even the plants, branches that bear some fruit, he'll prune it to grow more fruit. But then we see down in verse 6 about the reality. It's very detailed, verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away. And it withers. Such branches are picked up they're thrown into the fire and burned. This is what the gardener does. I'm going to prune the vine. It's going to be good for the vine, better for the vine, better for my garden. 
cut you off, throw you down, throw you in the fire and burned. All of a sudden, you realise this is what a good gardener does. This is what God the Father gardener does. And then our memory goes back to Israel when they were complaining in the Old Testament times about God, where are you? Do you really know what you're doing? All of a sudden, Jesus explains, well, yeah, he does know what he's doing. In fact, God's not up in heaven watching on, forgetting about his people. He was the one cutting them down. He was the one burning them because they needed to be cut down and burned. They weren't living as God's people. They were following other nations, following other gods. They weren't trusting him. They were just like all the other nations. He was the one pruning. Now, if you've got a heart that feels for plants, when you hear that, your emotion goes, oh, poor plant that it's getting hacked into and thrown away. But it's even more confronting when you think this is a symbol of people. When God says, this is what people, this is about people. That if you don't remain in the vine, if you don't remain in Jesus, in fact, if you're disengaging in Jesus, if you're rejecting his love and walking away and you're not living as a disciple, in fact, you've, you're not relying on him for life anymore. It's no wonder you're cut off. It's no wonder you're burnt. And that is really confronting as people, as we all know people who have let go, have departed, who haven't remained. This is what Jesus explains. This is confronting, and it's meant to be confronting. But God does it so the vine can grow back and be more fruitful, and this is what the Father delights in. If you see uh, down in verse 8, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. He says, the Father delights in such a big vine, showing yourselves to be my disciple. This is the fruit that we show ourselves to be his disciples, that we look like Jesus, living like Jesus, we're trusting in Jesus, this is what the fruit looks like. And if you ever met a gardener who takes delight in their garden, his glory in their garden, they always want to talk to their garden because their garden makes them happy, the garden makes them feel better. They're always showing you photos of their garden. Israel were burning. God says, no, I want a garden like this. And to see what this garden looks like, he says, when it's good, it's really good. Let me tell you about it. Let me show you about it. I've got these flowers in my garden that they look like burning fire. They're bright orange and bright red. I've got other flowers. This actually is a flower. It's an air plant. It doesn't even have roots. It's beautiful crimson flowers. I've got other flowers. These are all flowers at the moment that remind me of summer. Remind me of Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. But they, they look so great in my garden. They take me places. They look so good. I've got more photos if you want me to show you because I love my garden. That's what happens when you prune well, by the way. The good flowers come out. But see, for God, I can imagine for him, he glories in his people. He's looking down at his people and he glories in his people being fruitful, being disciples, following Jesus. And I'd imagine him just grabbing whoever's around in heaven, the angels or other heavenly beings, and going, look at him. That's my boy. He's, he's living just like Jesus. He's making choices just like Jesus. Hey, look, this is my girl. She's reading the scriptures. She's taking it serious. She's giving her life to Christ. The Father's glorying in looking down on his vine, us, growing fruit, living as disciples, following Jesus, trusting Jesus. This is the Father's garden and what he glories in, in the, in the, in the vine doing well. 
That's kind of the, the Gardening Australia version of the talk this morning. Uh, if you're a gardener, you're welcome. Uh, you don't get much of a say in this, this service. Uh, but now Jesus fills that out a little bit. Here's the drama of the story. It's not just a gardening lesson. It involves people, and this is what it looks like. Jesus goes on to explain in more detail what this vine story is about. And he says, this is good news. Good news. You need assurance, reasons to remain. But it's also a warning. Remain. Remain. And he goes on in verse 9. And this is to the Son's glory. This is what Jesus says. This is what gets me going. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We get this picture of, if, it's like God pouring his love into Jesus. If you could bottle love, God's got the, God the Father's got the bottle and he's pouring his, his love into Jesus. Jesus says, you know, I'm pouring my love into you guys. And as I'm pouring my love into you guys, are you accepting it? Are you being filled with my love? Are you looking to Jesus as the source of life, as the source of love? He says, I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Fill up on his love and from nowhere else. Now he says, if you keep my commands. It's kind of like, it's not conditional, uh, you know, you don't deserve my love today. It's more about love is actions. If love was just words, we'd all be just spraying it everywhere. But love is actions. He's saying, obey. If I'm loving you, how are you receiving that love? How are you being filled up? What are you doing with it? Remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands. I've responded to his love through my actions. Are you responding to his love? And this is what gets him going. It's what gets Jesus excited. I don't think he's telling this story in a quiet, you know, dull moment. He's going, this is what gets me going. He says, I've told you this in verse 11, so that my joy might be com- uh, maybe in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, this, this is what I get excited about. When I see God pouring his Father, giving his, me his love, and I'm pouring my love into you, and what are you, you're getting filled up with my love, and what are you doing with my love? He gives us more detail in verse 12. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay, one, to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is what gets me going. When I look down and I see uh, my people loving each other, giving their lives for each other. He says, it's almost like Jesus' vision for his church. Going, this is a church. This is the model. This is what I love to see, my joy. And it'll be your joy too if you're a part of it. That people are loving each other, even laying down their lives for each other. What greater love is that? That we give up of ourselves. That Jesus has poured his love into us. That we pour our, his love into others by giving up of ourselves. And we see that. When we give up ourselves for the sake of others, like giving up our time to help others. You know, even in here, uh, in, in the church life, we call this a church family, in our family, many people giving up their time to serve in areas like kids' church, teach them, encourage them about Jesus. Not just they're missing out on being in here with us, but they're giving up this time, giving up their time to be with those kids. People give up their time to serve in youth. On a Friday afternoon, we've all done a hard week's work. Who wants to go and entertain and teach and encourage a whole lot of youth 
But people give of themselves their time, their energy to do that. People give of themselves. In the middle of a busy week, they go to growth groups to encourage each other, to do life to e- with each other, to build each other up. And we can go on and on. People give up their time to give us a clean building. People give up their time to make us a nice morning tea. People give of themselves. They're laying down their lives to build others up, to encourage each other. There's so many... It's very dangerous when you start, start talking about areas where people serve uh, because there's so many, and I miss out on so many. It's so encouraging. This is the joy that Jesus has that makes us, our joy, complete. So when you see, we've got over 30 ministry teams serving, each of them giving up of themselves for the sake of others, whether it's mowing lawns or performing music. 30 ministry, 130 people are signed up as part of those teams, serving one, two, or three teams. To, to give of themselves, give of their time, laying down their life for the sake of building up others, showing them Jesus' love. What about the talk we just had this morning? That was really helpful from Ben, talking about how we give of ourselves financially. We lay down our lives in that area as well. We give up our own wants, our own desires maybe, for the sake of building up the kingdom. That we giving up our finances to encourage other people so other people might experience the love of God. That's, what we, that's why we give. Because we want to lay, our da- lay down our lives for the sake of others. Now, outsiders, people outside the church, can ask why. Why do you give your money? Why do you give so much time to church? Yet, when you see it, when you experience the love of God and you see what's going on, you go, man, why can't I give more? Why can't I give more time? I see the need. I see people hurting. I want to help more. Why can't I give more of my time? Why can't I give more of my finances? I see the shortfall. I want to see that ministry continue. Why can't I do do more of that? It actually turns your heart around. When we experience the love of Jesus, if you haven't experienced the love of Jesus, it doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, I'm pouring my love into you. Now you pour your love into others. Lay your life down for others. That's true love you won't find anywhere else. See, when you experience this love, it shows how we have this assurance. We're not being cut off. We've experienced the love of Jesus. We experience it when we're loving each other in this community. And we have that assurance we're a part of the vine. And when we see we're a part of the vine, the language changed for Jesus. You see from verse 14, where he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, if you put this love into action. It's actually, this word friends literally means, going back to the first century Greek language, is two words made up from loved one is a friend. It's better that we translate it friend, but literally it's loved one. So after Jesus has been saying, the Father has loved me, I've loved you, now you love each other, now I'm talking to you, Uh, you are my loved one if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you loved ones. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit and fruit that will last. See what he's saying? You're no longer outsiders. You're not servants. You're part of the vine. You're part of the business of growing fruit. So he says, and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I'm telling you, love each other, he says. I command it. So 
If we're in the Father's business of growing fruit to be this great vine that's being trimmed back, but we're growing back well and we're making fruit by loving each other, what sort of things are we going to ask for? God's just said. Jesus just said, ask in my name and I'm going to give it to you. Surely our desire is to see that love grow even more, that fruit grow even more. Excuse me. That's what he wants for us. What would you pray for? What things should we ask for? Surely it's what we've just talked about. And what gets Jesus going is how that fruit works out. To see his people laying down their life for each other. If we want to experience this, this complete joy that Jesus is offering, the fruitfulness of a good vine, our love being poured out to one another, surely we're praying that, hey God, let me know. Show me what it means to lay my life down. Show me what it means for me to be giving up my time. Lord, actually, help me use my time to be laying that down. Help me use my energy. Lord, give me more time. Lord, give me more energy so I can be laying that down and helping others more. I see so much need. Lord, help me be your agent in loving others. Lord, I see so much need in our finances. Lord, help me to, to lay that down. Help me budget better so I can use my money better and lay that down uh, for the sake of ministry. Ministry costs money. I see the needs everywhere. Ben just showed us earlier, but I see people cost money. The, these facilities cost money. There's opportunities that we haven't even pushed into that's going to cost money. Lord, help me be a part of that. Help me lay down my life to show that love to make this happen. Lord, Give me more money so that I might be more generous. We can even be that bold to pray. Now God knows our hearts and he knows what, how you're going to spend your money. But it's like, God, give me more opportunities. Give me more, open my eyes to see where I can give my time, my money, my resources. Help me to lay down my life and to know what that means. That's a prayer that's going to bear fruit. That's a prayer that's going to help us to lay our lives down. That's a prayer that's going to change a community. If God's at work, if Jesus is at work in that, that's a church that excites me, excites Jesus. It's a, it's a church where we find joy with the prayers and people living that out. There's a problem to all this though, isn't there? Jesus explains, this is the vine. Remain in me and you'll grow fruit. This is what it looks like in a loving community. It's vision for the church that we're all experiencing love and loving each other. But there is a problem. Many of us, have a small view of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's very small. And if you're not feeling that today, I'll bet you there's seasons in life where you've asked questions of God and he's a very small God because that's kind of where we get to when we go, I don't know what God is doing in my life. Actually, I don't know if he's got control. I don't know whether I should trust. I don't know if it's worth remaining or giving up and just going my own way. They're questions we ask of a small God do I trust him? Does he really know what he's doing? And in those moments, they're, they're na very natural questions to ask. But what Jesus is saying is Jesus is a big God and you can trust him. him. You can trust him. He's a big God that you need to cling to him for life. Jesus explained he's such a big God, he's such a, a good gardener, he's got such a big pair of prunes that he will prune off anyone who doesn't accept his love. He will prune off if you're not living like a disciple and accepting him as Lord. He will prune those branches and throw them into the fire. He will do it. He's a big God, will bring justice and that will happen. It's a warning. Don't depart. Remain. 
and it's very graphic, and it's meant to be, I don't know, send a shiver of fear up us. Don't let go of Jesus. We don't want to be off the vine and burned in the fire. He's a big God, and he will do it. Be fearful that way. But there's another side. There's a second lesson of a big God, and, and this is even more important. Is a big God with big love. See, if God has big love, we know he does care for us. See, Jesus is setting out this story just before he goes to the cross. Now, he's going to the cross. Why would you tell a story like this? Unless this story helps us understand what's going to happen at the cross. This big scary thing is going to happen tomorrow, he's saying to the disciples. But you can trust me, because this is an expression of my great love for you. What does this, this great act of love look like? See, at the cross, it shows, shows us how big God's love is. It also shows us the kind of love that he's talking about. It's not words, that it's actions. Jesus gave us a hint back in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus gives up his life for us so that we can have true life. What does that look like? So very easy words to say, and if you've been around church for a while, we say it every week. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like if you're a part of the vine, you say, yep, I'm in. But actually, you know you shouldn't be there because my life doesn't look like a disciple. I don't always call Jesus Lord. I'm not the one that's glorifying God and bearing fruit. In fact, I'm not receiving Jesus' love. I keep pushing away Jesus. I like going my own way. I'm definitely not loving others the way Jesus is talking about. I don't deserve to be on the vine. In fact, if God cut me off and threw me in the fire, that's what I deserve. You get it? This is a picture of God's love for you. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you be cut off and thrown in the fire. Jesus says, I'm going to be cut off and thrown into the fire for you. John uses some very interesting language. When he gets to Jesus on the cross, Jesus gets nailed on the cross and Jesus makes sure he explains, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down for you. He said that repeatedly in previous weeks. I'm the one who gives up my life. And when he's on the cross, uh, John points out, Jesus gives up of himself. He lays down his life. He gives up his last breath. He says he gives up his spirit says he's cut when they put the spear in the side to make sure he's dead. And then he's pulled down and put into a cemetery with the other dead. He's really dead. He's given up everything. He's cut off from life. He's cut off from the Father. He's cut off from being called Lord. He's like stepped down off his throne and thrown into the cemetery. He's dead, like a been cut down and burnt. He does that so that we might stay on the vine, so that we might experience life. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to find tr true life uh, it, through his resurrection that we can find true life in him. But this is what he does. When we deserve death, when we deserve to be cut off, he says, no, no, I'm going to step in here. I'm going to be cut off. I'm going to be burnt. Death, cut off from the Father, giving up his spirit, and dead and buried. That's what he does for us, so we can be a part of the vine, so we can have life, so we can have the assurance, remain in him. Now, the Christian life is a bit like two steps forward and one step back. We're going to fail. 
We're going to let him down. But we don't have to live in fear. Uh, am I being cut off? Do I deserve to be on the vine? No. But if we keep coming back to Jesus on the cross, keep coming back in repentance, he says, no, no, I've paid for that sin. I've taken that punishment so you can find life to be healthy, to be growing, to be bearing fruit. I've poured my love into you so you can pour your love into others. That's the joy of the cross. When we see what it looks like, no greater love, a greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for one's friends or down for one, one's loved ones. That's us and that's what Jesus does. This changes us. Let me give you a few ways this changes us. Firstly, three quick points. That you need to know how much God loves you, the Father, Son and Spirit. We need to allow him to pour his love into us. We see it in the cross, but we see it every day to know that we are fully loved. We are fully loved that he would lay his life down for us. Now, we want to be a church where people not only experience the love of Jesus through the word, through our singing and reflection, but also through the way we love each other. We want to be a church that shows this kind of love, how much God loves you. The second thing is to remain in that love, remain in the vine, to, to trust him. That would you let us encourage you, as a ch us as a church, encourage you to remain in that vine? You know, when times are tough, when we've got the big questions of life, that you're able to talk to someone without fear of judgment, that you're able to build each other up through growth groups and other smaller groups, that we can have those discussions that we can build each other up in that walk, that we can remain in him, that we do life together and trust in him. The third thing is that we be fruitful. We be fruitful the way Jesus is talking about it, that we love each other, that we show each other the love of Jesus by laying our lives down for them, that we say, give me opportunities. Where can I give my time? Where can I show people love by giving up my stuff, my time? Where can I use my resources? Give me more resources to, to show the love so other people will experience the love of Jesus. So we need to know how much God loves us, that we're fully loved, that we remain in him, remain in him even when we're asking the questions and to be fruitful, that we're a church that shows that fruit by the way we love each other. That's, that's what God delights in him. The Father gives gives glory to the Father, but it's what gives Jesus that buzz too. This is my complete joy when he sees that happening. Let us be a church that glorifies him. Let me pray. There's some big challenges there. Let me pray that God will turn us into the church that he delights in. Dear Father God, we thank you for your amazing love for us. That uh, instead of being like Israel, pointing the finger at you, blaming you when life's not going wrong, realising it's all us and our fault, Thank you through the cross that you showed us your love. Thank you that you showed us that it's not just words, but it's actions, that you would lay your life down, that you'd be cut, cut off from life, cut off from the Father, dead and buried, so we wouldn't have to be. Well, thank you for bringing us to you through your love on the cross. Thank you that we can enjoy it and experience it, that it is real. Thank you that we have a place to live that out in building each other up here as a community. Lord, please use us to be fruitful that we might show that love to others. Lord, we need help in that area because often we're stubborn, we're hard-hearted and we're selfish. But Lord, give us a fresh heart.
that desires to serve you and glorify you and be as fruitful that you delight in. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.